Hello and welcome to the interior design business. My name is Jeff Hayward and today with my co-host Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tesuto Interiors, we are exploring the interface between architecture and interior design. Back in the day, architects did everything on building projects and interior designers, if they were involved at all, were only responsible for the supply of wall coverings, soft furnishings and furniture. But then, as buildings evolved into the complex organisms we see today, the job became too big for architects alone. The separate profession of interior designer was born, and today, architects and interior designers work closely together to deliver highly intricate building projects for their clients. Unfortunately, many clients do not fully understand the roles of the architect and interior designer or when one discipline stops and the other starts. So, how can design professionals ensure that their clients appoint the right people at the right time during their project? And what steps do architects and designers need to take to achieve a continuity of service and ensure their projects run smoothly? Welcome to the interior design business. We are delighted to welcome as our special guests, Max de Rose and Claire Saar, founding partners of International Architecture and Interior Design Studio, de Rose Saar. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Claire and Max, thanks so much for being on the show today. Can you please introduce yourselves and just tell us a bit about your partnership, how you came together and the sort of projects that you guys do? My name's Claire. We started the practice perhaps about 16 years ago, Max and I. Uh, met at university in Edinburgh, then we then at the Architectural Association in London, and are uh, where we're, we're married. So we work together. We have children, and our practice came about uh, just as a sort of it was a natural stage in in our life where we were working on projects. Then I was pregnant, started the practice. It sort of evolved and 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 has just morphed from that ever since. Um, our projects have been. Uh, have sort of sourced from the place we live, which is West London, and they're mostly residential, um, but they are varied in their in their size and type. And we are now branching out into hospitality projects, um, predominantly London-based. And we've now we've now set up an office in in uh, an office in Brussels and an office in Lisbon, and are working on projects there. Mo the majority of the projects are residential. But you both trained as architects. We both trained as architects. It's quite a long degree. It's a, it's you study for six years, especially if you do your undergrad in Scotland. You study for six years, and then you still come out and are not a qualified architect. So you go on then to do professional training, which takes another two years, and you have to do professional exams. So it's it's a long a long haul. What about you, Max? What's your take on that story? I guess our, our partnership evolved, you know, from a relationship, and that relationship. Um, it's been like a long conversation about, uh, I think uh, the core of our practice is a long conversation about design and particularly residential design. And I think we, we often, you know, amongst, in our practice, we often discuss, you know, is it really just design? Because I think we're, we're interested in how people live and, and so there's a kind of interest in lifestyle. I mean, you can see some of, um, you know, we're now, I guess it started with architecture and then it's morphed to interior design and now we're starting to do some objects and and then hospitality feels like an extension of that. It, there's a curiosity of how people live and how um, design can impact that um, but ultimately at the, at the kind of base of it all is a conversation that Claire and I have 
about design. I think we're very passionate about it. As a practice that covers both disciplines, how do you define architecture for your clients? The definition of architecture um, is a is, well, it's not a difficult one. It's a difficult one if you try to define where it stops and when the interiors start. It's, it's hard because an, an architect will never only design the exterior of a building. Of course, they have to design the interior of a building, and that and an interior designer will not be designing the exterior of the building almost for sure. So they are preoccupied with the, with the interior. I mean, we tend to define architecture as obviously the, 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 the structural components, the volumes, the spaces, but, but also the hard surfaces and everything that, com that comes inside. And those surfaces and the finishes that you see, as well as the things that you don't see, which are the, the steel beams or the concrete foundations, all of that which needs to be set to define the, the volume or the space you're created, the, the, the superficial uh, interior treatments, I also think are very much architecture. You can't really just... I think to hand over a shell is, a, is probably more of a sort of commercial architecture. If you're just doing an office building, quite often you'll design shell and core and you'll design... A, you'll design I mean, I remember way back work it, working for a practice where we designed office buildings and you, you'd very much designed the sort of the external wallpaper of the building, the cladding, you had to get through planning, that was a big thing. And then it was shell and core and you handed it over and it was a fit out. So it became quite a kind of commercial utilitarian thing. When you're working in a domestic situation, housing, I think the architect needs to be very sensitive and aware of the internal finishes. And so we very simplistically will define the architecture as everything that is fixed. So that, that, uh, that sort of, uh, you know, now you, you shake the house, everything that falls out would be, would be interiors rather. Everything that is fixed needs to fall into the architectural bag. Now, that doesn't mean that a lot of interior designers, in some cases, come along and they go, well, no, I'm going to define the paint colour and I want to pick this wood floor finish. So there's, there's a blurred line. And, and I know that in different parts of the world, the definition is uh, also blurred. I think in, the, in America, for example, you might have the architect. And then sometimes they talk about their designer, who's the person that comes and curates the... The, the inside, the look. So um, I don't know if that's answered your question, but it's, a hard, it's, a, it's, a hard, it's hard to describe the architecture wh where it stops. So because you've got this blurred bit in the middle, do you kind of see it as a continuum? Is it something that flows right through from, you know, the, the, the first shovel in the ground to the last tassel? Well, I, I mean, I personally definitely think, I and mean, when I'm imagining a space, you know, before I'm imagining the planning application, I'm imagining the light that there is in the space and imagining the finishes, what's, what's the sort of vibe, what's the atmosphere, you know, what's the art going to be on the walls, what's the sort of the mood, is it going to be a really sort of cosy sort of sitting room with, with perhaps dark colours and, and rich fabrics, or is it going to be quite a sort of beachy sort of, uh, you know, coastal, airy kitchen. So I, I think of it as a continuum and I think that is what that is why our practice evolved to branch not only from the architecture but to the interiors because we couldn't stop ourselves from having those conversations with the client and the client naturally engaged in, in the conversation that was about, well, of course, it's obvious that we need to be thinking already about the palettes of material and the, the end vision when you're designing the spaces because, at the start. that's the element of the job that actually gets the clients most excited. Of course. They're not they, really interested in the steels. In, no, or the insulation, or really the party wall awards, or the reinforcement bars. Or the wires or, and the wall, exactly. or the pipes under the floor. And so, so, but exactly, but also, you, you slightly, if you know what your, end, what your vision is, 
your sort of path is much easier to define how, how to get there. And it also sort of, you know, it's obvious that you change your mind along the way because it's, you know, as you do and you sort of develop, develop ideas. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's, an, it's, it's natural to think like that. And that continuum, Max, in the practice here, you've got job titles for team members, project architect, architect, interior designer, designer, architectural engineer. Does everybody really know the clarity that they have where their role starts and stops? It's important, I think, each studio has a bit their own, you, you kind of develop your own way of working, your own language. So from us, I guess, architecture was the origin of it all. So um, as Claire was explaining, it, it evolved from there. So for us, every, every project has a project architect. And in a way, that's the most important person in the project um, when you're talking about progressing the project from A to B. So the project architect is a, is a pivotal role and, and then some of the roles you've defined here are, you know, we respond a little bit to people's experience and that kind of thing. But um, so architect uh, would, would be on the architecture team and then every project has an interior designer. Um, with, now we work and, and the interior designer comes in um, into the project and quite often we find that the project architects, even though they're are the pivotal person responsible for pushing the project forward is the architecture team quite often get really um, obsessed with the technical details and they'll get a certain distance down the project and then they'll think we go well, what does it feel like in the kitchen and they haven't actually really interrogated that so it's really important um, and and we're you know we're still struggling with this a little bit we have to work it out and and, and encourage the two sides of the practice so to speak so we like to have workshops with the interior designers where they come in and we have a big um, review of the project with the architects, the project architect, the interior designers, even though they're, we're like miles away from picking fabrics or, 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 or colours or even thinking about the furniture. Um, but the interior designers are asking the questions uh, of the project architects and forcing them to think about atmosphere, which sometimes they don't think about at the beginning. And do you find that once once you get your project architects or your project, you know, the architect on the project starts to work, do you find they're morphing into interior designers? The more the more projects they do, that they're beginning to think that way for themselves, or or not so much. I guess what we are looking for in the in the in our team are people who are interested in des in design and you know who are who are thinking. So when even though they're thinking about how am I going to coordinate the AC, the AC with you know the the, the panelling, they're also, they're constantly thinking about design and, and you see it on some of the junior members there, they kind of almost park the design and work out the technical bits and then they'll come back to the design and on some projects we have team members who are not qualified architects but they have a real affinity for design and with some of these titles are trying to promote them because they're just as important. So I think you see it more in, in yeah, the architects do learn in a way to become more sensitive, but it's quite difficult to teach. I feel like it, you either have it in a way or, or, or you don't, the sensitivity. It's funny because, you know, we've, we work with architects and some architects clearly are not sort of designers. And then we've got other people who, who we work with who like, you know, within the office of, you know, 20 something people, 
you know, we have some people, they just have, you just have an affinity for mm. design and that does not stop at your architecture, it's your, it's your clothes. I mean, we've got a, we've got somebody who works for us who's an amazing portrait artist. We've got somebody else who's fantastic at coming in and making joinery. I love to make clothes. I mean, you know, and you're sort of, I think when you're thinking design, you don't really, it's, you don't sort of, comp, comp, you know, compartmentalize, go, well, I, I'm in, I, I like designer buildings. The person who's sort of into a designer it is, well, most likely, you know, have an opinion on styles of cars and furniture and fashion, you, you know, and all, all of those things. You, you've got a sort of hungry sort of eye for, for aesthetics and, and beauty. I think that's, that's the fun. I mean, we sometimes, we have to stop ourselves from like, Max is like, we should, perhaps we should open a restaurant or a bar. And I'm sort of thinking, <laughs> no, food, no, that needs got to stop or something. But, you know, it's that urge to constantly sort of be doing you know, a little bit more, a little bit more, because you, 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 you in a way you can, you, you know, you're interested, you're curious about those other things. How do you go about allocating the team resources for each of your projects? Do you, do you start by assessing the project and then working out what's, is, is there a process behind that? Yeah, I guess it's, it's, we have a, a thing called a pipeline. Um, there's a small team who um, review all the inquiries that come in. Um, and we go into our, they get put into our pipeline and we have different stages in the pipeline. And generally it will take, you know, three or four, sometimes six, seven months for an inquiry to turn into a project. So as we prepare our fee proposals, we're thinking, we start to develop a program. Uh, these are conversations we're having uh, with the client. And so you're starting to think, well, who, you know, what scale is this project in? Who, which team? I guess we're working with four teams at the moment in our practice before it even turns into a project you're kind of thinking a little bit like about the resourcing who's um, who will work on this I think the first question is who's going to be the project architect that's like the fundamental first question um, and then what team will they need to deliver this project um, how fast do we have to be working what is the program but also sometimes the, the project and the client define a little bit well some clients you know are going to want an intense design conversations other clients are going to just sort of want to get the planning application, get it done as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So you sometimes tailor your service to, to what they, their specific needs are. Which I suppose is why it's important to get to know them a little bit before you start allocating resources, because you can make erroneous assumptions about how much yes. time someone is going to hoover up. Yes, it's always yes. really very valuable to have as many client meetings before you you know, they appoint you and also you have to interview them to some extent because a relationship with a client on these projects, it's like a, a two-year marriage and you need to have a good communication, a relationship and, and we, we invest a lot in that, uh, you know, trying to really sort of work the, work the client and have a good relationship. It, it's Otherwise it can be a very destructive but I'm guessing that's not chargeable for either. So you are making an upfront investment as a practice because you're investing that time and it's your time it's your, as the most valuable assets that the business has. Yeah, uh, when at the beginning uh, for sure, but um, it is worthwhile, you know. As you say, the, the, we don't, the risk is you don't have enough time with the client before you're embarking on quite an intense relationship so um, it is worthwhile uh, one of the struggles we have actually uh, is can we delegate a bit more that inquiry process and we've learned the hard way that it's actually quite difficult to to delegate it um, so we've got a, a system where there's you know three or three or four of us who look at the inquiries and we each have a slightly different role but ultimately we all feed back into 
um, that there is a, a, a slight judgment, a kind judgment about, you know, what is this person going to be like to work with? Do you ever quietly say no? We do say no, yeah. We yes, do, sometimes we, do say we no. dodge a few bullets, but you don't know. I mean, and sometimes surprisingly, the clients where you thought, gosh, this project is really not very inspiring, you sort of take it on because have turned out to be our most interesting projects. I mean, the most interesting project, without a doubt, are those ones where the client is invested and the client has a good, positive working manner with us, with the consultants, with the builder, with the plumber, with everybody. And those are the really productive projects. It's not the, the ones that sometimes at face value appear to be the really exciting, glamorous jobs do not always work out to be that way. <laughs> And when looking at fee proposals, many clients worry that architects and designers quote for the same thing. How do you overcome that or convince them otherwise? Yeah, that's a good, I mean, it does come up. I, I guess there's perhaps an advantage, um, you know, as a studio being able to offer both. Uh, we, we, clients seem to like that idea that, um, and it allows us when we have that opportunity to do both to you know slightly sharpen our pencil when it comes to fees but um, I, I think that there is a, a bit of an overlap and, and it's funny because you also get a bit of territorial uh, prote protectiveness between the two teams so um, you know the architects don't like losing any service in their stage and um, the interiors design, interior designers are the same. I find what happens is quite often you have two types of client. You have the one type of client who when they, they start a project from the outset, they, they've already picked their interior designer. They know what their look is going to be and then quite often will retrospectively employ the architect. And then you have the other clients who go, well, I'm doing a house, I'll employ the architect. And then halfway through the process, sometimes go, well, I probably, who's going to do my curtains and, how, and how's all of this going to work and the interiors and, and then they sometimes sort of bring someone in. But um, it's, it's the, 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 the fees, when you look at them from, from the outset, it's, it's hard because a client very often, especially in residential, these clients, are, it's probably one of the biggest investments they make is, is when they're buying their house. And then, especially in today's day, where the building cost of a full refurbishment is, you know, knocking around 50, is at about 50% of the cost of the build, typically, if we, if we just look at the projects we've got in our office. So it's a huge amount of money. And then they slap, and that's just for the build cost, and then they slap on the architect's fees and the interior design fees. So they definitely get worried, you know, and they, you know, some clients are really, you spend, you have rounds and rounds of meetings just sort of working out, well, who's going to do this and who's going to do that. And it's, it's hard because what we do is not a science and there's not an absolute fine line between the sort of architecture and the interior. So as Max said, there's, for a lot of clients, it's been easier to just be sort of talking to us because they'll be like, well, I know I'm going to pay for you and there's nothing that is going to kind of get fall between the gap, you know, that, that there'll, there'll be no excuse for not sort of covering all of the bases. Max, for designers and architects who find themselves working with external consultants, what's the best way to ensure that everyone knows who's responsible for what? I think it's important, it's, it's really important that every, the whole, team meets. Uh, I think you need to meet, if possible, in person, look each other in the eye and think, you know, am I going to be able to get on with this person? You know, we try and be very clear with our services. I think it's important to review what is the interior designer or the architect offering, um, are the, where are the possible overlaps. It's very clear that interior designers and architects don't do the same thing, but there's possible there are certain overlaps in what they do. And, why, uh, and so it's those areas that need to be talked through, whether it's 
you know, who's doing the internal elevations. Well, who's specifying the internal doors. That's one that crops up all the time. Yeah, who's going to be in charge of, uh, who's going to take the lead on the colours. Um, you know, there's some interior, funnily enough, on some projects, we are the architect and we're working with another, we're working with the client's interior designer. And on one of the projects, um, they, uh, it, we have a, a discussion in our office about, should it be interior designer or interior architect? And this interior designer that we're working with, um, you know, it's more interior architecture. It's, it's a discussion about architraves, about uh, skirting boards, cornices. So it's starting to get what we would consider more into the architectural side. We, I, I think it's difficult to just, you know, say, well, you're going to do it and therefore we're not going to do it because there are, the, the resp it, it, you know, we're both working towards the same, same goal and, you know, there are planning applications. So even though, let's say, the interior design is taking the lead on interior elevations on a listed building, uh, it's the architect who has to prepare the drawing. So, and you need to have those conversations and if there are no fees to talk about that, um, I think things can get lost and that's where tensions start to build up because one side of the team feels like this is not in my, you know, I don't have fees to cover this. So those, you know, a matrix is very useful. It sounds quite um, bureaucratic, but it is, um, I think, all those contractual uh, things should be as human as possible, but they do have a place. Um, and it's, it's useful to go through the fine print, identify the services, you know, identify where those overlaps are. Let's build a matrix and be clear on who's doing what. And it might be that you're actually both slightly doing it, but just someone needs to be clear on who's taking the lead on this one. Often designers will, will propose deliverables or stages of work within their fee proposals. And the client's think, I don't need that. How do you, how do you, but you know, how do you convince them that actually they really do need all the stages for the thing to run smoothly? Well, they're, they're, yeah, I mean, there's that lovely drawing of, um, I don't know if you've ever seen that drawing or render of a horse, where it's a beautiful horse, and then the second half is like a child's scribble. <laughs> and, then, then, and so, you know, if you cut out the resources and the fees, you end up with a... Half a horse. Half a horse, yeah. So there is a, a quote by, I think, David Chipfield, which is the difference between architecture and building. Uh, great architecture is the length of time you think about it. If you... If you want good architecture, I do believe you need time. You need time to think. Um, you need time to look at stuff. Your team, you need to have the right resources. If, if the fees are so competitive that there is no time, that you don't have the resources, then I think you end up with compromises on the architecture side. And, and I think these are the part of the discussions that are necessary at the beginning to convince and, and to... It's not really about convincing, but to convey, you know, the, the job that a designer, an interior designer or an architect is doing. And ultimately, we want to achieve great atmosphere. And that's not a simple thing. It's not a question of, you know, you put A and add it to B and you get C. Sometimes There's an intangible component yeah. to that. And, yeah, and, and it's, it's so true that the, the, this idea of time, because the number of times that I've worked on a plan, the more you work on it, the more you massage it, the more time you spend, the better. And the, the ironic thing is that you have clients who come to you and they want you to build them the best house you could possibly build them, but then they ask you to reduce your fee to as low as it could be, which is sort of a contradiction because I can understand that no, 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 architect, no, no client's going to sort of write you a blank check, but 
the more time you spend on their project, the better it's going to be. But they ask you to spend the least amount of time possible. <laughs> so, but anyway, which is, so there's always a bit, of a, a bit of a conflict there. Can either of you think of any examples of where things have been missed and not done on a project? And, and if so, what were the consequences? Something that happens very often when you have um, architects designing without an interior hat on is they'll do things like they'll forget they'll design windows and walls but they will forget that you may need a curtain pole or that curtains need to stack to either side of the window so this is something that's happened before you know before we sort of started to develop develop uh, an interior side of things I mean um, yes you might you might suddenly finish the project and put them in it and then you know somebody comes to sort of fix a curtain pole and there's no space above above the window I mean that's a uh, it's a silly one, but it's I've seen it happen before. So sometimes I'm looking at architectural drawings, and you know pe perhaps prepared by sort of more more junior uh, stuff, and and you're going you know just just be aware that you know you can't have a wall going straight up to the edge of the window, or you know we don't know what the window treatment is that that sort of thing. I don't know. I, I suppose we've had more experience from looking at it from the architecture side and then working it through. But where the furniture um, plan has been used is showing kind of generic furniture and then as we come to to um, furnish the house the property then you know it doesn't quite uh, the, the, the one that yeah, the, the client chairs are bigger yeah, yeah. it's slightly you know the, the sofa th should be three and a half person sofa and, and it's a three little silly things or the rugs that can't quite fit silly things like that um, successful projects are all about relationships you know our best projects are when the client uh, we get on brilliantly with the with the clients where we get on well with the contractor and it's the same with the interior designer when both sides are, are talking getting on well um, that there's not we're not defensive then I think you'll end up with a, a much better project uh, a product and and if you can I think it takes a bit of working uh, you need to work on that relationship do you think the balance of responsibility alters across the life of a project? I think so, probably. I mean, we we tend to, I mean, because we tend to invest quite heavily in the relationship with the client, sometimes we become this sort of pivotal person in, in, in the client's life and they call us for almost everything, you know, and, and sometimes it gets too much. But I think where we're working with other, if we are working with other interior designers, they, no doubt they, you know, their the intensity of their involvement increases towards the end of, t towards the end of the project. But typically, in, in in a project, the architect remains, although not always the architect is not always the project manager. I mean, sometimes we end we have ended up being that the architect ends up still somehow coordinating the teams, coordinating the consultants, feeding back to the clients, coordinating, looking at, you know, you know, even if there's a cost consultant, structural engineer, services engineer, the architect ends up being the sort of pivotal one that has to take all of the bits of information, you know, put it into a set of drawings and still make that make make a design that the happy the client is happy to sign off. You know, and then of course the structural engineers and the services engineers, they input heavily at the beginning and then once they've done their bit. It, the work gets executed and their input becomes fairly fairly minimal, whereas our, our involvement is is pretty consistently intense. And then when you're building on site, it it continues continues to be so. So I'd say the architect sort of definitely takes the lion's share yeah. of the responsibility. Yeah, well, especially yeah. if the architect is also lead consultant or or yeah yeah yes. that sort of coordination role. Yeah, but I think it's important that. That you know, as we were mentioning before, sometimes the architect can get too caught up in 
the technical side. And I think, although they might be doing more in terms of you know um, the the I think uh, in terms of the services that they're providing, I think the interior designer in a way can bring this always bring the conversation back to design. You know, what's this? Fine, we're going to put the air conditioning over there, but what's it going to feel like afterwards? You know, what are the grills on the air? How's it going to impact the space? And I think that's really important to always bring it back to this. To that humanist piece. Yeah, yeah. what's it going to feel yeah. like once all the trades have left? What are we left with? Um, and, and I think, so for me, there's almost like two waves where the interior designer has a lot of influence at the beginning when we're having those kind of more concept discussions and then and then once it starts to um, as once the project's underway and the build's underway and then we start thinking about the furniture and and the furnishings. What intrigues me is offering architectural services and interior design services how easy is it to restrain yourself when you see an architect doing things that you don't particularly like and yet you're just engaged as the interior designer or indeed the other way around, when you're an architect, but you're not doing the interior design, and you see what the interior design is doing. It's really hard. <laughs> we have a, hard, we yeah. have a job where we've been brought on just as interior designers because the client wasn't entirely happy with perhaps the, the, the way the thing was going architecturally. And we've slightly ended up kind of <laughs> redesigned. It's become a sort of, it's become a slight sort of chaos of sort of d design elements. It's, it's, Look, I think I think it's perhaps the way we work, and sometimes we set, we have we you know we say to ourselves we need to we need to just be a little bit more pragmatic as some architects are. They just tick the boxes, get the work done, whereas we sort of end up investing a bit too much heart. And if I see a plan that I think this, there's a much better way to do this, I find it really hard not to tell the client or or propose. I mean, you know, my way of seeing things is my way of seeing things, and it, it may not necessarily be be everybody else's way of seeing things, but it is. It is very hard, which is in the end why we, you know, why we we sort of tried to sell a a, a sort of package. But you know, that's that's not going to suit everybody for sure. But I definitely find that really hard on both on both sort of fronts. But but but, however, having said that, I do because you know our our, our, our background is architectural. I find I learn a lot. Quite a, I learn quite a lot from the interior designers. You know, different things and way, you know, ways, of, ways of doing things because it's perhaps it's a new sort of newer branch of our sort of practice or way of working. What about you Max, do you find that easy or? Oh it's, it's definitely hard but uh, you know whether you're the architect looking at the interior design and sitting through the presentation sometimes you're thinking uh, yeah you, you can't help but think oh, I don't think we would have done it that way necessarily <laughs> um, but you know it's, it's about personalities you know we're all human and um, we do really enjoy the collaborative side of things and on three or four projects where we work with interior designer it's been fascinating it's been great to learn from them and and, and see and they have a slightly different aesthetic so we're learning I think one of the you know we worked with an interior designer from Belgium who was all about materiality and it really helped us develop as a practice you know this affinity to uh, craft and all of that. It, it was a really important project for us. We, I mean, we've got one project where the client came on and said, look, I just need some interior input. Fine. So we went in, a bit of interior input. You know, to, a month in, the, it's a full house refurbishment because I, it was almost like they didn't perhaps understand what interior input they needed. And when we said, well, you know, you start to unpick and ask more questions and more questions and more questions, and then suddenly the kitchen, you know, the bathroom's being redesigned, everything's being redesigned, new surfaces. So, you know, 
that sort of fine, but that was a sort of perhaps an example of sometimes the client almost not, not understanding what the definition is or what they're, what they're asking for. If you had to choose, which would you rather be, an, an architect or an interior designer? Well, I, so I sometimes have imposter syndrome when I'm in the world of interior designers because I don't feel like I'm an interior designer, but I definitely, I think I think like an interior designer. So I, I, think, I think I would really miss out if I was just an interior designer because there is so much sort of background and knowledge and you know we have a richness of discussion within the practice about architecture, big architecture, historical architecture, uh, structures, academic architecture. We have a we have a sort of we have an interesting in our Monday morning meetings. We have a um, it's not quite a sort of architects show and tell, but we present we everybody in the office presents a sort of image of a project on a on a theme that is set each week. And, you know we have rich discussions about architecture and 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 I would feel there would be the foundation of everything you do would be missing if if I was just involved in in the gloss. So. If, I, if someone put a gun to my head, I think I'd pick to be an architect, but I don't think, I don't, I just don't really think there's a sort of hard stop between uh, what an architect should do and an interior designer should do. And I think there is immense value in just thinking about the process all the way through. And so, you know, uh, you know I feel lucky that, that we, we can do that. I mean, and I, uh, you know, in, in terms of in interiors, I also think the, the sort of landscape we could ta landscape and garden design you could tag on to that to that package too so watch that space <laughs> I think you know I was interested in architecture so I probably would say architecture because I, I, I guess one of the things I'm finding and I'm really enjoying is as I get older you're starting to have the design bit doesn't necessarily stop at the kind of parameters of of the um, of the external walls, you're, you're starting to get interested in the kind of landscape. How does it sit in the landscape? You know, can we start thinking a little bit more kind of t townscape? So I suppose it's all design. I really enjoy being an architect, but I r also admire um, and really value how, you know, interior designers are about atmosphere and sometimes architects forget that. Well, I think interior designers are older interior designers they've lived life and they understand how people live and can analyze their needs which is yeah but I think it's, pro it's probably a bit the same for architects I remember sort of in my first lecture at, at university I think the lecturer sort of said architects peak at about 65 or something like that and I thought gosh that's really depressing <laughs> but but you the experience of seeing how people live just you know having your eyes wide open to, to the world is you know without a doubt is is you know, you add a lot value, of value, yeah. a lot of a lot of value to the clients. Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Honestly, it's been it's been such a pleasure, a real joy. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode, and please do get in touch on our social channels to share any feedback. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. The Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production.